Open your Bibles, if you will, to Isaiah 40. Isaiah 40. This is a powerful text that helps us to stand in awe of God. The majesty and the greatness of God is described in a way that is, it is in few other places in Scripture. And any lesson on Isaiah 40 is going to fail to describe God in all of His glory. For God in all of His glory is far beyond our, our power to describe. In Isaiah 40, let's begin with verse 12 and we'll read from verses 12 through 17 as the text stresses the majesty and glory of God. Who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand and marked off the heavens by the span and calculated the dust of the earth by the measure and weighed the mountains in a balance and the hills in a pair of scales. Who has directed the spirit of the Lord or as his counselor has informed him? With whom did he consult and who gave him understanding and who taught him in the path of justice and taught him knowledge and informed him of the way of understanding? Behold, the nations are like a drop from a bucket and are regarded as a speck of dust on the scales. Behold, he lifts up the islands like fine dust. Even Lebanon is not enough to burn, nor its beast enough for a burnt offering. All the nations are as nothing before him. They are regarded as less than nothing and meaningless. Who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand? Water covers three-fourths of the surface of the earth. And yet God is pictured as so awesome and so mighty that He can hold all the waters of the world in His hand. Who has measured the waters in His hand? Or who has, and then who has marked off the heavens by the span? A span would be the different, the distance between a person's small the tip of their small thumb to the tip of their little finger. In most people, that is around nine inches. And that was used as a means of measurement. It was used as a means of measurement in the ancient world. And God is said to mark off the heavens by the span. Now, I've probably given these statistics before. But if you start at one edge of our galaxy and travel the speed of light, it would take 100,000 years to reach from one edge of our galaxy to another. The distance between us and neighboring galaxies is higher than that, greater than that. 
And God is said to measure all of that all by the span. He holds the waters of the world in his hand. He measures off the heavens by the span. As Derek Kidner said in his brief commentary on Isaiah, the universe, as large as it is, is dwarfed by God himself. God himself is far greater than the things that he has created. And that is one of the things that this text is trying to stress. God's greatness, when we look at the world around us, and there are things that cause awe and wonder, and we look at it, and we know that is but a dim reflection of him in all of his glory. He calculated the dust of the earth by measures and weighed the mountains in a balance and the hills in a pair of scales. Again, God's greatness cannot be measured. And then in verse 13, who has directed the spirit of the Lord or as his counselor has informed him. By the way, that's quoted a couple of times in the New Testament, in Romans eleven thirty four, 34, in 1 Corinthians 2 and verse 16. In Romans 11, after describing the wonders of God's salvation in Christ, it asks this question, who has directed the mind of the Lord? God is infinite, not only in his power, his being, but in his wisdom. This God does not need to look to anyone else for counsel, for advice, for instruction. In verse 14, with whom did he consult and who gave him understanding and who taught him of justice and taught him knowledge and informed him of the way of understanding? In verse 15, behold, the nations are like a drop from a bucket. Now this from a God who holds all the waters of the world in his hand. The nations are a drop from a bucket. They are a speck of dust on the scales. This from a God who weighs the mountains in a balance and who calculates all the dust of the earth. God is so great that even Lebanon, an immense forest, and all the animals in it are not an adequate sacrifice for him. Now verses 15 and 17 could be misunderstood. Verses 15 and 17 could be misunderstood that God does not care for the nations. And the book of Isaiah shows frankly that is as far from the truth as it can be. For the book of Isaiah shows us in the last days the mountain of the Lord's house will be established as top of the mountain and all nations will flow into it. The fact that God loves the nations, God wants the nations to be saved is constantly affirmed in the book of Isaiah. But in this particular passage, the Bible tells us that all of mankind's combined power does not begin to be a threat to God. 
all the nations are as nothing before him and regarded as less than nothing and meaningless. All the nations are as nothing before him. How awesome, how majestic, how glorious is our God. In Psalm 8, David looked up into the heavens one night and said, When I consider the heavens and the work of your fingers and the moon and the stars which you have made, what is man that you are mindful of him? Or the son of man that you visit him? He looked into the stars and when he looked on them, he reflected on the glory of God. When he sees God's greatness, he sees his own insignificance. And he says, what is man? Who are we that you're even concerned for us? As I stated earlier, this lesson is doomed from its beginning to fall short of its objective because we cannot adequately conceive or speak of him. And the Bible tells us that. He is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think. Ephesians 3 and verse 20. He is able to do far beyond anything that we can imagine. Now in this text, there are three applications that are given of this. We want to look at this text and see what it says on this particular subject. The first point we're not going to spend as much time with, but one point about the greatness and the glory and the majesty of God. The fact that God's majesty is greater than we can possibly imagine. One application is it shows us the folly of idolatry. God asks in verse 18, To whom then will you liken God? Or what likeness will you compare with him? As for the idol, a craftsman cast it, a goldsmith plates it with gold, a silversmith fashions chains of silver. He who is too impoverished for such an offering selects a tree that does not rot. He seeks out for himself a skilled craftsman to prepare an idol that will not totter. God begins this section, as he will in verse 25, with the question, to whom then will you liken me? Or to whom then will you liken to God? We've just described God's glory, God's greatness, and God's majesty. He holds the waters in the world. He marks off the heavens by the span. We have seen his greatness. We have seen his glory. What could man make? What idol could he construct that would properly represent the glory of this God? 
And yet, on those verses there, you will find this section goes on to condemn idolatry. This is one of the most thorough sections in Scripture, Isaiah 40 through 48, showing us the folly of idolatry. In one of those pictures, it is Isaiah 44, beginning with verse 9, where a man goes to the forest and he cuts down a tree and he throws the tree on the, the fire and he burns, he, he burns the, the wood on the fire and, and he warms himself or he cooks over it. But the other part, he, he takes and he shapes the wood and he extends a measuring line and he works with it. And the text tells us that he works himself to the point point of exhaustion and makes a God and falls down to it and worships it. And he doesn't realize the inconsistency between worshiping one part of the tree and cooking over the rest. No thing that we can make with our hands adequately represents him. Now, I'm not saying that's not worthy of attention. It is. Covetousness is idolatry. In Colossians 3 verse 5 and Ephesians 5 5. But we're not going to dwell on that largely today. We're going to dwell on a couple of other problems that are expressed in the text. In verses 21 through 26, what application is made of the majesty and the glory and the greatness of God? First, the foolishness of idolatry. Second, the sinfulness, the wickedness of pride. In verse 21, do you not know? Have you not heard? Has it not been declared to you from the beginning? Have you not understood from the foundation of the earth? It is he who sits above the circle of the earth. And its inhabitants are like grasshoppers. Who stretches out the heavens like a curtain. And spreads them out like a tent to dwell in. He it is who reduces rulers to nothing, who makes the judges of the earth meaningless. Scarcely have they been planted, scarcely have they been sown, scarcely has their stock taken root in the earth, but he merely blows on them and they wither and the storm carries them away like stubble. To whom then will you liken me that I would be his equal, says the Holy One. Lift up your eyes on high and see who has created these stars. The one who leads forth their hosts by number. He calls them all by name because of the greatness of his might and the strength of his power. Not one of them is missing. Do you not know? Have you not heard? The question is asked. It is he who sits above the circle of the earth and all its inhabitants 
are like grasshoppers. This word grasshoppers, I believe, is only used outside of this in Numbers 13. Where the people who were sent to spy out the land of Canaan come back and says that they were giants and we were like grasshoppers before them. If they had only known what Isaiah stresses is that everyone is a grasshopper before our God. Everyone is weak and powerless and insignificant before our God. He sits above the circle of the earth. Its inhabitants are like grasshoppers. This is trying to overwhelm us. with how small we are. He mentions in verse 23, rulers and judges. These are powerful people. These are people who speak and others have to conform their lives. Men like Augustus Caesar, in Luke 2, who makes a decree and people like Joseph and Mary have to go to Bethlehem to register. But the text tells us that even the most powerful of people, the most powerful of men are reduced to nothing and they are made meaningless by the awesomeness of this God. He merely blows on them and they wither. And rulers sometimes forgot that in the Bible. In 2 Kings 18, in verses 32 through 35, as Sennacherib was invading the land of Judah, He sends a message to Hezekiah and says, don't think your gods are going to be able to deliver you. Where are the gods of all these other cities? These gods said they would deliver, these people said their gods would deliver their city from my hand. And you will be no different for your God will not be able to deliver from my hand. In Daniel chapter 3, Nebuchadnezzar asked Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, He asked them, is it true, O Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you haven't bowed down, you haven't worshipped my image? If you do it the second time, when the musical instruments sound, everything will be fine and everything will be forgiven. But if you don't bow down, I'm going to cast you in the midst of a burning and fiery furnace. And what God is able to deliver from my hand. What God? He was so infatuated with his own power that he thinks there are no gods who can deliver. And in Daniel 4, one night he was walking over the city and he sees the city that he's made by his glory, by his power, by his majesty. And when he sees this city, he says, Is not this Babylon I built by my majesty and my power? And God says, you're going to be driven from among men and eat grass like an animal until you know the most high God rules in the kingdoms of men 
and gives it to whomever he will. Now, if you carefully look at these verses, you will find that each time these people were proud and thought too highly of themselves, that is dealing with a king. So I want you to know that we're just talking about kings and earthly rulers because I know none of us are ever tempted to think too highly of ourselves, are we? I can remember years ago a friend writing, it sometimes takes so little to discourage us because it takes so little to make us proud. And I thought about that statement. The smallest success, the, small, the, the most insignificant achievement can often lead us to pat ourselves on the back. But this text, what it tells us is we're all like grasshoppers before God. Now, it may be, it may be, young person, that you're doing well in school and you're making great grades and you have a winning personality. Or it may be middle-aged person that you are going to the top of your business and the top of your profession and you are just excelling everyone else. Or older persons who are in positions where they are respected and thought highly of. Whatever your circumstance or situation in life, I'll tell you this. You will never and never have in your life accomplished a single thing without the blessing of God. Coaches, training, instruction, they don't put in what God left out. And therefore, anything, anything that we accomplish should lead us not to think too highly of ourselves, but to thank Him from whom all blessings flow. It does just take a little bit to make us boast, to make us think too highly of ourselves. And it just takes a little bit sometimes to break us, to bring us down, to think that there is no hope. And this same God who holds the waters in the world of the waters of the world in his hand and marks off the heavens by the span, this same God. The same God who humbles us lest we think too highly of ourselves sustains us when we are weak and we are broken. In verse 27, why do you say, O Jacob, and assert, 
O Israel, my way is hidden from the Lord, and the justice due me escapes the notice of my God. Do you not know? Have you not heard the same questions that were asked in verse 21? Do you not know, have you not heard, the everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth, does not become weary or tired. His understanding is inscrutable. He gives strength to the weary, and to him who lacks might, he increases power. Though youths grow weary and tired, and vigorous young men stumble badly, yet those who wait for the Lord will gain new strength. They will mount up with wings like eagles. They will run and not get tired. They will walk and become weary. God is pictured here as everlasting in verse 28. He is the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last. He is the everlasting God. He is the Lord of creation from one edge of the earth to the other. And His understanding is inscrutable. It is infinite. It cannot be measured as verses 13 and 14 stress. I want you particularly though to notice in this passage the use of the word weary and the use of the word tired. These words are used repeatedly in this text. In the New American Standard, weary is used in each of the verses from 28 to 31. And the word tired is used in all of these verses except verse 29, which talks of him who lacks might. But I want you to notice what he says about this word. First of all, in verse 28, he said, God does not become weary or tired. God does not become weary or tired. It is interesting that in Isaiah 44 and verse 12, the one who was making and fashioning that idol worked to the point of exhaustion. He did become Weary, But in this passage of Scripture, God does not become weary or tired. And God is an inexhaustible source of strength to those who are weary, to those who lack might, as verse 29 says. Because God never becomes weary or tired. He can always give strength to the weary. Give might to him who lacks power. And notice the use in verses 30 and 31. Though use grow weary and tired, and vigorous young men stumble badly, those who wait for the Lord will gain you strength. Now, notice he mentions in parallelism here the word use and vigorous young men. He is talking about the strongest and most able of people. The kind of people who are professional athletes. The kind of people who compete in the Olympic Games. You remember some of the passages in the book of Proverbs which Proverbs emphasizes that uh, to the young man his glory is his strength 
And to the old man, his glory is his gray hair in Proverbs 16 and verse 31. And in this particular text, he is talking about the youngest and strongest. And they will encounter circumstances which will bring them to their knees. They're going to stumble badly. How can we make it through those times? Those who wait for the Lord will gain new strength. And they, in verse 31, will not get tired and not be weary. There are a lot of people that have been through experiences in life that I haven't faced. I haven't faced and I hope that you or me, if you haven't already faced it, never do. And a lot of them I have had discussions with about this passage. Because they may come with difficulties, they may come with troubles, they may come with problems that are way bigger than I am, but they're not bigger than God is. As one man told me that he was on a business trip and he came back a day early. He came back a day early for the trip and wanted to surprise his wife. And he surprised her. When he found her with another man. And I've had people talk to me and I've pointed them to this passage. Who've lost mates through divorce. Who promised to be faithful till death do us part. And kept their part. But their partner didn't. And therefore, they were broken, losing all their money and their children. What do you say in those circumstances? What do you say when people have lost their mate through death? And you don't know. You can only fearfully imagine what that will be like. But you don't know. And maybe the saddest of all, I've had two times that people have talked to me about their children who were murdered. And in both of the two cases, the children were murdered and everyone knew who did it 
And they got off on a technicality. At that moment, sing and be happy sounds rather cruel, doesn't it? I don't know the answers. There are a lot of problems out there that are beyond the ability of anyone to deal with. Yet those who wait upon the Lord will gain new strength. They will mount up with wings like eagles. They will run and not be weary. They will walk and faint not. All of this is tied to the majesty and the glory of God. The God who is big enough to hold the waters of the world in his hand. The God who marks off the heavens by the span. This God is big enough to humble us and he is powerful enough to sustain us in difficult times. May this be a passage that you read often and reflect upon regularly. Let us pray. O Lord our God, how awesome, how glorious, how majestic, and how powerful you are. Lord, we don't have enough words to describe you. And we stand this morning in awe of you and who you are and what you have done to save us. For you who spoke the worlds into existence, you who measure the waters of the world in your hand, sent your Son to die for us. How can we contemplate such thoughts without all of you, who you are, what you've done. May we stand in utter awe of you. O oh Lord, when we have been proud and arrogant and boasted of who we are instead of who you are, we pray you forgive us. Forgive us and wash our sins away. And Lord, when we are broken, and all help disappears, may we run to you alone, who are big enough, who is big enough to deal with the problems and difficulties we face to the God who holds the waters of the world in his hand. May we not seek lesser water than the true water of life.
May we apply this passage and this principle to our lives. Help us, O God, in Jesus' name. Amen. When we consider how big God is, when we consider how big He is, there is nothing more important in your life and in my life than being in a right relationship with Him. Nothing. Nothing compares. When we understand how big our God is, that ultimately is the only question. Are we right with Him? We could not be right with Him had not this God who holds the waters of the world in His hand sent His Son to die upon the cross to show us how disgusting and horrible sin is and yet through His love to open a door of salvation. And if you believe that, if you believe he died and rose again, repent of your sins. Be baptized in Christ. We want to help you. We want to encourage you to be right with God. And we invite you to come as we stand and sing.